Before we get started, I want to find out, is anybody here an interpreter of dreams? Anybody? Are there any Josephs or Daniels in the crowd? How about a psychology major or professor or two? No? What? What's that? Well, this sermon's for you. <laughs> Apart from the ancient idea that the interpretation of dreams was in some way supernatural, can one experience the divine through dreams? The ancients surely thought so. In our more modern times, starting with one of the founders of modern psychology, Sigmund Freud, dream interpretation became a window into the mind of the patient. Although for, for, although for Freud, it always seemed to be about his mother. I don't know. Now, I'm not opening the door for some psychological debate here, but I am going to make a point that dreams have held our attention for as long as humanity has existed. Are dreams some sort of an indicator about our minds inner workings? Do we touch other realms through our dreams? Do we indeed connect to the divine? Our Bible is chock full of the importance of dreams. So in this spirit, I guess I'll tell you about one of my dreams. It's a recurring dream that I've had since I was a child. Now, several of you may have had this dream as well. So you see, when I was a child, I dreamed. I dreamed I could somehow fly. Huh? Anybody else? Come on, hands. Okay, good, good. Well, I didn't really fly. I kind of more like floated. Just a few feet off the ground. And the dreams were super realistic. But usually others in my family, they couldn't fly with me. And they would want to know how to do it. So I would try to teach them. And some of the other kids in my family, well, they could figure it out too. But the adults, they were always stuck to the earth. Now as time went on, I began to figure out how to move while floating. I could swim and kick off walls and trees and things like that. Um, but I had one problem. I was always tethered to just a few feet off the ground. And as an adult, I found this more and more frustrating. Because I guess you could say I have an attitude about my altitude. Now, as I pondered this, I've often wondered if it's related to my being fettered to my physical self. I mean, are we humans not bound by life's distractions? Do our earthly wants and desires perhaps limit our ability, ability to grow into our godly lives? Are we perhaps grounded by our inadequacies? For me at least, I would say absolutely. And if you need an example from out and, out and about to the world, look at our news. Countries picking fights with other countries over nothing. People of every political and ideological bent insulting one another on social media with or without consequences. We live in an ugly age where the love of God is hard to realize and even harder to declare amongst our brothers and our sisters. Yet, people yearn for it. They yearn for the Word of God. 
And I can tell you, I know this, because look at the world reaction after our presiding bishop showed up in England to give a homily. He so eloquently talked about the power of love to connect us all to God and to one another. But in this life, we are so limited to see past ourselves. And I think that's kind of what's happening today in our reading from Samuel. Now, we pick up our scripture with God, calling to young Samuel in a quiet voice in the still of the night. Samuel. Samuel. Was it a dream? Well, obviously, Samuel doesn't recognize the voice of God. And how many of us can say the same? But he went to his mentor, Eli. And in a dutiful manner, he presented himself and said, Here I am. And Eli goes, Kid, you're bothering me. I'm sleeping here. I didn't call you. Go back to bed. So this happens two more times. And finally, Eli goes, Whoa, maybe the Lord is talking to Samuel. So he tells Samuel, Next time the Lord talks to you, say this, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And lo and behold, Samuel did as he was instructed and he received God's Word. But it was that Eli was going to be punished for his son's transgressions. Now, this is a point of Scripture that I have always had trouble with ever since I was probably about eight or nine years old. God didn't say to Samuel, Samuel, I love you. I'm going to make you a great prophet a great judge, and a maker of not one, but two kings. No, God started with a curse on poor old Eli and for the sins of his boys. So, let's go back in time a little bit in Samuel. A few verses back. And you'll see that Eli's sons are not nice dudes. They used their place as priests and sons of Eli to violate the tabernacle at Shiloh. Now, if you don't know it, this tabernacle is the very same tabernacle that Moses built to house the Holy of the Holies, the Ark of the Covenant. So these sons were violating that temple. The sons were corrupt, and yet they were also corrupting to the other people of Israel. And a man of God, perhaps a prophet, comes to Eli and he warns Eli of his son's behavior. And Eli does the right thing. He says, sons, what are you doing? Knock it off. And his sons, they don't listen. Now, I don't know what Eli else, what else he was supposed to do. Perhaps he was supposed to remove them from the positions as priests and leaders of the people. But either way, God blames Eli here. Not only Eli, but his whole family line. And after two major battles with the Philistines and the loss of the ark, Eli and his sons died or were killed. Now let's fast forward back to today's passage. What intrigued me about this exchange with Samuel is Eli's acceptance of this upcoming judgment. He says to Samuel, It is the Lord. Let him do what seems good to him. Now, I don't know what to make of that other than Eli is a man of God and is resigned to his fate. Perhaps writers during the later kingdom of Judah were looking for a way to explain the end of the line of the Levites. Now the Levites had ties all the way back to Moses and Aaron. 
And they were supposed to be the priests forever. Yet if you flash forward again to the southern kingdom of Judah much later than this story, what you find is there are no more Levites in charge of the temple. So maybe the writers are trying to explain that through this passage. I don't know. But before we get caught up in that, perhaps there's another greater theme at play here. I feel that we see Eli's sons becoming, we see them becoming tied down to earthly temptations. They have lost their way of living into covenant with God and each other. They have lived for themselves and not for others. They are supposed to be teachers and set an example for those who looked to them for leadership. But they not only turned from God, but in doing so, they led their people astray. And they brought awful consequences to themselves, their family, and the people of Israel. And how that applies today is like those sons, our actions in this world have consequences for good or ill. And I believe this passage from Samuel may be a lesson for us about living righteously in the love of God and for others despite our limitations. Perhaps when others make us realize of our short, make, make us realize our shortcomings, we should possibly look inside ourselves and whether our behaviors and whether our actions come from love versus for other reasons, usually selfish. Now let's turn to our epistle from Paul today. In 2 Corinthians, Paul is having trouble maintaining his position of leadership within the church at Corinth. His absence has made others rise up and try to challenge his authority. Paul doesn't try to demand allegiance from these guys or engage in a squabble with them. No, instead, he looks to the example of Christ Jesus, who in weakness gave himself up to death. Christ, God incarnate, died in order that he may be a light to all of us in, human all of us in humanity. And Paul addresses his and our weaknesses when he says this in today's epistle. Let light shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have treasures in clay, but we have this treasure in clay jars, so that it may be made clear that this extraordinary power belongs to God and does not come from us. So what Paul is referring to here is that we are weak and we are temporary earthen, earthen vessels like clay pots who are created by the one true and triune God. All of us are charged with carrying out the light of the glory of God to others using the example of Christ. And this is a heavy burden for us. Don't be fooled. It's a heavy burden, especially when we run contrary to God's Word and the example of Jesus and the power of the Spirit. So we should take on Christ, pushing aside our earthly weaknesses and our earthly selves to live as one, as the body of Christ in love. Another way Paul says it is we die to our old selves and are born into a godly way of living putting on Christ as if we were putting on new clothes or armor. You see, when we do this, we live for each other in love and in unity, putting away those hurtful things that lead us to negative consequences individually or as a people. Only by putting on Christ can we be unbound from our limited selves. Now, 
I always quote a song or a movie line. Always. So today is no different. There's a line from a later Pink Floyd song, and I think that it pertains to today's readings, the sermon, and our earthly struggles. And it goes like this. A soul intention that's learning to fly. Condition grounded, but determined to try. I can't keep my eyes from the circling skies. Tongue tied and twisted, just an earthbound misfit, I. Some of us dream about it, but with God and Jesus, we all can learn to fly. Amen.